0: Be quiet tonight
1: well uh i mean look yeah, we're already getting some people in here so welcome everybody <laughs> while we get the roll in the chat but uh david I, I can't believe you're not following at home but wrestlemania is also on a rain and lightning delay tonight it is having the same effect that we are seeing at the nascar race can you believe it
0: oh my, so wait what do they do in pro wrestling during a rain delay
1: it's never happened before, so right now they are making a lot of filler um con- content on the WWE slash Peacock Network, Um and they are not good at it because they have not been as <laughs> practiced as our friends at NASCAR on Fox or NASCAR on NBC – and you could tell this is a first. They are doing what they can to fill for content. And uh, it just goes to show you the the, uh, the value and talent that television professionals have when they have to go through it so many times like we have had to do this year in NASCAR. Uh, they've just got a lot of practice, David. And on the over on the wrestling side, just not as much. So two things I love right now are rain slash lightning delayed. Not fun.
0: Are you saying that Booker T is not a television professional?
1: uh he is, but look the ad lives it's like no one planned for a rain delay right in in television okay. you have a plan, you have a backup plan, you have things to go to, you have people working behind the scenes, and it just looks like on the w w e right now they are making it up as they go. Um so, uh, we, uh, we're actually having a lot of listeners right now for what I thought would, I wasn't sure how it was gonna be, David, so let me first and foremost apologize <laughs> for talking so much <laughs> wrestling talk to start off, but it is interesting that, uh, so many different events are being affected by rain so far this year. But, uh, to everyone on here now, uh, thank you. Welcome to Positive Regression on the Venue app. This was supposed to be live race analysis, David. We were going to have challenge ourselves and also challenge the listeners to bring great questions about what they were seeing on the track. We were going to try to deduce. I was going to rack your brain, David, about the analytical side of what we were seeing play out during the live race. And unfortunately, tonight at the moment, we can't do that. But it was a good effort. I promise, we tried. We wanted to.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it's a shame that it didn't happen that way, but I still think that there's quite a bit to talk about just specifically for this Martinsville race, which I think is really interesting. There are layers to it that we didn't even get to on this week's episode of Positive Regression. And uh even the schedule moving forward, it's, what, 15, 16 straight weeks of racing. This is going to be a relentless point in the season for these guys. And it's it's kind of to the point where if they don't have something, I don't know that there's going to be a lot of dead time for them to adjust on cars. Uh, we've we heard from, you know, the likes of Ryan Priest and Daniel Hemrick about the inability to make changes quickly at the cup series level. And it's something that rookies adjust to. It's something that teams have to adjust to. And this kind of consecutive pace, while it's not, not familiar to most of these teams it uh, it still doesn't let up so you, at this point you, you kind of have what you have and i think it's the beginning of a of an important stretch of the season
1: yeah an important stretch for many reasons david the next five races all playoff tracks So I don't know how much you want to take away from that, but inevitably we will. right? When we go back and preview those in the fall, we will look back on this five-week stretch to see who did what and try to extrapolate and deduce what they may do in the playoffs. And as you said, for those that have-nots at the moment trying to catch up, that's one thing. But for the potential haves looking toward the fall, how important is this five-week stretch coming up?
0: For the haves, I think it's important to, if they don't already have a win, get the win, lock themselves into the playoffs. Because what we heard this week from James Small, crew chief Martin Truex, they're already locked into the playoffs, and they said that they're fine with experimenting on some things. Of course, they're going to go out and attempt to pad stage points, which he admitted was something they didn't have a lot of last year going into the playoffs. But now they kind of want to mess around and see what they can and can't do, can and can't get away with before the playoffs start. And I think about that team uh, two years ago. um, I mean, just a a phenomenal playoff performance for Martin Truex in his first year with Joe Gibbs racing, that playoff performance kind of came out of nowhere. They had an okay regular season, but it was kind of feast or famine. They either won a lot or they finished poorly. And come to find out, they were spending a large part of that season just trying to testing the waters, understanding a 550 horsepower package that was completely new and was important for the championship that season. I think the same thing is going to be said here. You're going to have a lot of teams that maybe were caught off guard for how important 750 tracks were last year. That uh, The percentage of 750 tracks has increased this season, I think we're going to see a lot of experimentation from winners, and if you don't already have that, then you're going to be trying to get a win, but you're also going to be losing some time to those that have already won. So that's why it's important to kind of win early, get it out of the way, get that playoff spot, and start understanding the parameters that you have as an organization.
1: Yeah, important stretch. It starts tonight. I'm seeing some good stuff already, David, in the fan chat in terms of uh, people saying pre-race ceremonies may start like during our uh, scheduled half hour here on venue. So maybe we will get some racing tonight. We shall see. But if you have any questions or anything or want to react or make sure you use those emojis or ask some questions here uh, during the session, and we'd love to answer them. But, David, talking about Martinsville, we'll preview that. Look, anybody in here right now listening probably listen to our preview on this week's episode of Podcast. Positive so first and foremost, thank you. But let, let's go into it a little more in terms of what we usually see at Martinsville, at least recently. Just a few years ago, David, 2019, I, I mean, the, the, the winning drivers there, our drivers were able to dominate in terms of laps led. I think you, we were looking in the notes and you wrote down both winners there in 2019 led 440 plus laps of a 500 lap race. Why is that so easy to do at a track that is seemingly you know so difficult?
0: So, the case two years ago was the the spoiler height allowed leaders to sort of throw off clean air from anyone behind them. A trailing car attempting to pass, that pass was sort of stymied before it ever got started. Now, the spoiler size reduced, but you have to consider that that didn't make it open season on the leader, it just made it a little bit easier, and Martinsville The track, as it's constructed, is an incredibly thin racetrack with an even smaller racing surface. So did the reduction in spoiler size lead to any real change? Yes, because we saw some drivers able to maneuver through the field. I'm thinking Chase Elliott, Ryan Blaney, Kurt Busch. Those were the three most efficient passers last season at Martinsville, and they also came away with top five finishes during the year. What it didn't do was prevent leaders from kind of still dictating the race. And when you consider that a leader most likely has one of the fastest cars in the race, it makes some sense. But you have to understand that the leader at any track controls a lot, both in terms of clean air, the the line preference of, of where they drive and the restarts. And we didn't really dive into the restarts on last week's episode, but that's important because in theory, if you're picking the inside line at Martinsville and establish that is your preferred line around the track for however many green flag lap that we're going to see, then you can kind of thwart an attempted pass from wherever. I mean, even on the short run, if you are just getting your corners, right, it's highly unlikely that the car outside of you is just going to have that much better of a drive off. So right off the bat, that isn't an option to, to, to find a pass. You're, you're not going to see many passes in the straightaways. Really. It isn't a pass that we're seeing at all. We're looking at cars, trying to get underneath another car and beat them to the spot, going into the corner at entry. And if you are the leader inside line, just your presence alone sort of blocks that. And that's kind of it. I mean that the the book is out on how to run well and win at Martinsville. The the biggest challenge, and this is what I wrote about for NBC Sports, is really the track itself and understanding what kind of balance you're going to get out of your car. I think that's every driver's biggest adversary in these Martinsville races is just trying to understand what you need from your car, what you need it to turn, what you need it to corner. And in that sense, you have a good engine package. You're probably going to have a good day. But that said, it's still very much a track position race. And it can be particularly daunting. I think the smaller spoiler kind of frees that up and get a little bit of Um, of options and availability for some of these drivers deeper in the field, but you're still going to be able to do pretty much everything you want as the leader. It's just not as easy the time, but it's still the spot that you clearly want to be in.
1: And everything you just talked about is all the more interesting because they they don't have the practices, right, anymore, and they don't have the qualifying sessions. So figuring out what your car is to do, uh, that, that really, you know, puts the onus on the teams. Last year in this race, again, it was in June, quote unquote, the spring race, it was in June, but, uh, Martin Turek Jr., he won. He led, you know, more than 100 laps, but they didn't come until the end of the race. So maybe that was time spent trying to figure the rest of it out after Joey Logano seemingly dominated, 234 laps led.
2: When your business is starting its championship run, nothing matters more than finding and hiring the best team. With Indeed, you have the power to build a dynasty by hiring more MVPs faster. Start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job posts at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through March 31st. If you're hiring, you need Indeed because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, Interview and hire all in one place. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applicants that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Go to indeed.com/bluewire to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. No matter how the last game went, anytime you take the field, you got a shot at greatness. Give your team the best shot at winning by recruiting more MVPs with Indeed. Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Last year in this race before uh, Martin Truex Jr. taking over. Uh, David, we have uh, a question in the chat, and I think it's a good one, only because we talk about th- the different packages, right? The 550 package, the 750 package, the 750 750- Package is kind of the road to the championship. That's what Phoenix is. That's where the Penske cars were so good last year. And I think it's jagi in the chat. Sorry if I'm mispronouncing your name. But he writes, I get that the horsepower figure is the same at Martinsville and Phoenix. But are those cl- tracks actually close enough where data can be effective for one or the other? Basically, if you have success at Phoenix and or Martinsville, does that translate? Or what do you take away that that is a positive and what aren't you looking at?
0: Yeah, I would I would caution him to be careful of any kind of correlation between the two. I think any relationship based on the package is because you nail a, a setup or a general car feel based around the horsepower package. If you can do one thing well, it's probably going to translate to other short tracks or one mile tracks or wherever you take it. I think that's the thinking. Like the, the way that Stuart Haas Racing established itself as a 550 team last year, it was translatable across two mile tracks, mile and a half tracks. Kevin Harvick had speed at any big track that he wanted, right? And, 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 and won Atlanta. We saw Cole Custer in Kentucky. We saw Eric Almarola do very well in the summer months when we were hitting some of those bigger tracks, regardless of the size of the shape. So when you split the series, into a dual horsepower series, that's kind of what you're going to see is you're just going to specialize on building a car around one set horsepower package and that you're just going to take away. Of course, some tracks are going to be better than others. That's always the case. Um, you're not going to have one setup that allows you to achieve commensurate results at one track that and another place. And that's just, that's universal across racing. But for here, if you establish yourself as a 750 team, you're going all in for just the car, the, just the general car feel based around that engine package, and then you're going to fine-tune week of or a couple of weeks um, throughout uh, before the race for a specific track. And that's where it is. I think the starting point for the car setup is a little bit better if you just nail it right for one set of tracks and then you've got to kind of whittle it down to what it is for whatever individual track characteristics there are. Great answer, great
1: question. That same uh listener says the green flag, uh, hopefully nine ten PM. So uh right after we finish our chat we'll uh we'll start uh watching some racing, hopefully, fingers crossed. David, a lot of talk that we had this week and one driver a lot of people are looking at only because he runs well in Martinsville, is Bubba Wallace. And on uh on the podcast this week we played Two Truths and a Lie, and I, I did not get the answer correct, but I did learn a lot about Bubba Wallace's improvement. This year so far, uh, again, people, if you're listening to this now, you are likely a listener of positive aggression. So, again, thank you very much. But let's go a little bit more in depth in terms of we have seen Bubba improve as a passer. You know, how can that translate tonight? And what, what are the expectations of someone who's starting 25th, I believe, tonight?
0: Yeah, I think for him... It's, it's tough because when you come to a track and most of the tracks are going to be like this are going to have a high correlation between where you rank in speed and where you finish so whatever car he has is going to be more indicative of his result than anything he could possibly do behind the wheel and that's a little bit on him i mean he he needs to be able to to give proper feedback in order to make his car better but it's more so on the team. And as we stand, 2311 Racing was a very lofty idea before it was ever a team. Uh, Mike Wheeler confirmed um, back in February that this team didn't start working on cars until the middle of December. So they had... A much later start preparing for this year than any team out there. Um, there are probably limitations on what they're going to be able to do because they're working on a car that's obsolete after this season. So I would say expectations for the year in general are going to be small. Uh it sort of pained me to see Michael Jordan in 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 print say that his goal was what, two wins? Mm-hmm. That's that's tough. I mean, that's really tough. This is a new race team. And well, I think he said
1: he wanted a winner and Bubba threw out the two wins and he was even, you know, and then quickly clarified, you know, that's a personal goal. So let's be fair.
0: Sure. Yeah. And, and, and that's just, and that's just really tough, right? So this team right now ranks 22nd in, uh, in median lap time. And that's not a great spot to be in if you want to contend for wins. I think what is important from this race team this season is that you have a driver sort of proving, and this is really the second straight year of considerable improvement. In 2020, we saw uh, a heightened production and equal equipment rating. That was a good sign. And now we're seeing him seemingly create track position in some scenarios. Um, what he is lacking is a fast race car and ultimately clean air. And that's why we saw some of those, you know, the still it was a polarizing choice by Mike Wheeler to pit him at Phoenix. But we might be seeing more of that just because every team wants to get into the playoffs. It's equally lucrative, but not realistic for every team. They're still going to try. And that's going to be something that they have to do until that speed comes up to par. I mean, right now, it's sort of living up to what we thought 2311 would be. I mean, you and I talked about this at the end of last year. We we were using uh, Levine Family Racing. Maybe 90% of LFR was hired to 2311 Racing. We are using LFR as a proxy, and this is approximately where LFR ranked in speed last season. So hmm. I don't think there have been any surprises On that front, I think if the expectations are kept in check, this could be a a very good building year for a race team that apparently has staying power and is looking to grow. I mean, Denny Hamlin and Michael Jordan were um, in the Sports Business Journal this this week talking about kind of an aggressive expansion plan, and that's fine. But you, in order for that to happen, you want to see something positive come out of a year that's, um, I don't know, kind of tantamount to, um, you know, in football, the, the penalty flags on the field and you've got a, a free shot downfield, right? Like, it, th- that's kind of what this is. This car is gone after this season. It's sort of a free year where whatever they achieve is icing on the cake. And so far, what we've seen from them, the best thing about this team thus far is Bubba and his improvement. I mean, he is making steps to becoming a driver, certainly with staying power in the NASCAR Cup Series. And if you're a Bubba Wallace fan, that's all you want to see. And he's still on his side. He still has plenty of time. And he's heading in the right direction. So the trajectory is pretty good. All right, good
1: stuff. We talked a lot about Bubba. I just posted a poll in the chat, so make sure you answer that. It's just interesting. Who finishes higher in points, David? Bubba Wallace or Daniel Suarez? and I bring Daniel Suarez up only because it is a very similar situation in terms of being a new team with a cup affiliate and a track house with RCR um and at the moment, right, coming into this race, I mean, Daniel Suarez is coming off a great run at the Bristol Dirt Race. And they come into this race ahead of twenty three eleven racing in points. So, David, in terms of Martinsville and keeping this role going for a team that is seemingly overachieved, uh, what's your take on Daniel Suarez going forward and what he's already done?
0: <laughs> Might be a rough one tonight. I, 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 I question the, um, the, uh, the severity of the penalty that he's facing. Um, yeah,
1: 10 point penalty. If you have not heard already, they, uh, had yeah. some, they, they it ballast, I guess, but basically they had more weight in the car than they should have and were trying to hide it allegedly, but they're, well, My, not allegedly. They got docked for it. So they did it. <laughs> NASCAR said they it. did it.
0: Travis Mack was out, uh, met some fans or something in the, in the parking lot on the way out. Um, I, am I crazy in thinking the 10 points lost is more valuable than starting from the rear? Like, I mean, that's it, it at least. Based on what we've seen from Trackhouse this season, it is very much uh, a, a pseudo-RCR car. And boy, they credit to Justin Marks and I guess Pitbull. I sure. mean, didn't think I'd ever be saying that on a podcast, but <laughs> they timed their entry right with The, the timing of RCR aligning with Hendrick Motorsports for its engine program and their alignment with RCR, they benefit from that. And so far, I mean, arguably out of the three RCR guys, Daniel Suarez has made the most inroads, um, from, from that alliance right now. And this season that, I mean, he's a a top five passer in terms of efficiency. That is huge. Um, for tonight or whenever we get this going, I think he will get a finish equal to his speed, but for the rest of the year, I think it's a little bit similar to 2311 and it, it's, it's 2311 has the setup with Joe Gibbs racing, but they are gaining experience as a team going to tracks, understanding what their driver has at his disposal and attempting to accomplish anything that they can do and see maybe how good their driver truly is. Because Mm -hmm. I think a lot of the same questions that have been asked about Bubba Wallace have also been asked about Daniel Suarez. Mm -hmm. And so, and he is a former Xfinity series champion. He nearly made the playoffs two years ago. He missed out by four points, but now this is, this is an interesting position. This is the first time in his career, if I'm not mistaken, in which he's, in a good car and he's the only driver for that team. I mean, Gaunt Brothers racing with three cars in its shop, clearly not the caliber of track house. So we're learning a lot from the team. We're seeing crew chief Travis Mack is trying a lot of stuff when it comes to pit strategy or, uh, you know, some, some iffy car designs uh, leading into Martinsville. But I think it's a similar situation in which they're just trying to understand what they have and how they go forward. The good news is I think they found their driver because Daniel Suarez is clearly, again, proving himself to be one of these guys that belongs in the Cup Series. Certainly, he's one of the 40 best stock car racers in America right now. And look, if this continues on, maybe not an outright playoff contender, but can they crack the top 20 in points? I think that would be enormous if they were able to do Ooh. that in their first year out of the gate.
1: First year, David, you are, the poll is going to expire soon. So make sure you answer. I don't know if you've answered David, would you like to uh, announce your answer here on uh, the live venue chat?
0: Um, finish in points. Um, I, I, I selected Bubba Wallace.
1: Okay. All right.
0: Yeah. I think it's, and, and I think mainly it's because the the continuity of the team um, again, 90% of LFR is 2311 racing. This was a team that during the playoff stretch performed pretty well. Not only the third place finish at Texas with Christopher Bell, but a 15th place finish at Martinsville, which was a pretty big surprise. Uh, USAC drivers typically are terrible at, at Martinsville. And here's Christopher Bell with really limited Martinsville experience. Had a, had a good, uh, good race weekend. So it, it seems that things were coming together for that program at the end of the year. They lost a driver. Their team went away. I think they just keep the ball rolling with the same guys. They know what they need to do. They know what, uh, processes they have. Um, and it's the same, the same leader in Mike Wheeler kind of running the show. I think it's that experience that actually wins out.
1: All right, good stuff, and we got a few minutes left here before allegedly maybe we go racing, but we just wanted to have a nice chat. So uh, you know, feel free to throw uh, throw any final questions into the fan chat. But David, we talked Bubba Wallace, we talked Daniel Suarez. I want to bring someone up who uh, had a great run at the dirt race, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. And when you look at the stats and the points where they are right now, a great run so far for that forty-seven team. But on the fantasy live show, NASCAR.com, the show I do with Amy Long. i cautioned against picking him at martinsville like maybe you know maybe you're trying to run with momentum or something but just uh you know the topical stats if you will his last few races at martinsville have not been good so how does he keep this momentum going at a track that at a place that may not not necessarily be a strength of his
0: well he has track position uh you you can't argue that but you're right in looking at his history. So he's had 16 career Martinsville starts. He's never had a single digit finish. That's pretty tough, yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and, and it's and it's one of those things. Um, Brad Keselowski brought up a great point this week during his availability, and it was uh, along the lines of if you don't ever have a good car at one track. You don't really know what a good car feels like, and you don't know what you want out of that. And at a place like Martinsville, you can kind of get lost. And we've seen talented drivers get lost for years, and I'm talking good drivers: Kyle Busch, Kurt Busch, Kyle Larson, Martin Truex, Kevin Harvick, winless at Martinsville since joining Stewart Haas Racing, and to a lesser degree, Ricky Stenhouse sort of finds himself in that scenario, based on his finishes. And based on the track and the fact that he's a former dirt driver himself, he's used to big high bankings and sweeping turns. I mean, that that's what he's used to. Every, everything that Martinsville forces you to do is sort of backwards from what he was taught early in his career. You can understand that he probably is lost. He probably doesn't know what a good car feels like. Maybe that's not a fault of, of, of his. Maybe it's a team thing, but from the outside looking in, that's kind of the scenario that he's dealing with. So tonight is a no go. Um, now the good thing is, I think moving forward, he, he actually has performed well at Richmond in the past. Uh, he's won at Talladega, um, a few years ago. And once we get to the mile and a half tracks, I would argue that his, his aggression, one of the things that he is criticized for, both on social media and in the garage area actually helped him. He forced passes on a racetrack at mile and a half tracks last year that just simply weren't there. And he was one of the most efficient drivers in the series in regards to uh, his surplus passing value. He can get you track position. I feel good. If like, if I asked Ricky Stenhouse, I need two spots on this upcoming run. I feel pretty good that he's at least going to try his damnedest to get those two spots. And that's the same drive that you're dealing with going into these summer months where we're going to see more of these big tracks. So can he continue his point padding ways? I think so. Eventually having the 20th fastest car is going to catch up to him again. It really doesn't matter how good of a driver you are. You are limited by the horsepower at your disposal or the car at your disposal. And at some point, there's going to be a cap on what he is able to achieve. And that really doesn't matter how efficient of a passer he is, how good of a restarter he is, how great at feedback he is. Um, you're going to be limited by, by the car. Right, you you can't mash the gas pedal through the board. There there is a there is a wall there. You, you can't you can't keep going. So he's that's going to have to come to a head. But for right now, appreciate what he's doing because doing what he's doing in the twentieth fastest car certainly not easy. It deserves uh, to be commended. Let's just see how long it keeps going because it is a fun ride.
1: Yeah, and you made a similar point, uh, this weekend with Bubba Wallace, or on this weekend's, uh, week's podcast with Bubba Wallace and what he's doing with his car right now. Uh, so make sure you pay attention to those average, uh, median speeds on motorsportsanalytics.com. They can tell you a lot in terms of a, a potential ceiling, so, uh, just make sure you pay attention to those. Uh David. You know, just got another minute left. Uh, just quickly, you know, w- we know the players. We both picked uh, Ryan Blaney. We know we believe the Penske cars will be good. No one will be surprised. Martin Truex, Chase Elliott, also do well tonight. Do you see anyone emerging? Just throw a name out there quickly. Uh, anyone who may emerge and surprise tonight, or uh, not shock you if they run well?
0: Uh I think I'm going to go with your contrarian pick, William Byron. Ooh, uh, cool. Maybe, maybe he isn't. The emerging guy. I mean, we saw him chase Martin truex really hard in that playoff race in 2019, but his performance at Martinsville of late has been subtle. Uh, it was the spring race where he had like a, a plus 10% Surplus passing value for the race. And that is a staggering number, but it was real. I mean, he did it. He was able to move through the field and, and tonight he has good initial track position. That's a driver that can show that he's at least able to do this at a track like this. I think he's had his top finishes, uh, on the top of my head, second place and eighth place in maybe what five or six starts. Um, so pretty decent start um i don't think that he's a name that kind of hits you on the head i've seen him on the list of a lot of dark horse contenders and that's fine but we're going to learn a lot about him this year because one of course he's an emerging talent that that much is clear but two the schedule this season Really suits him. 750 tracks and road courses. Sometimes in life, you just get lucky. And the NASCAR schedule bounced William Byron's way. We're going to learn a lot about him. We haven't even probably scratched the surface on what he's able to do this season because we've been at majority 550 tracks, um, and he has a win on one of them. So when we get to more of these 750 tracks, I think they suit his wheelhouse. Certainly Hendrick Motorsports is capable at 750 tracks. And one of those could be Martinsville.
1: Well, good stuff. Uh, I don't know if we'll get racing tonight or when, but they are doing the command and all that stuff, so we will leave it there. Uh, David, great stuff as always. We had a lot of listeners for our, our rain-delayed Saturday night, so much appreciated there. Thank you for joining us here on Venue. Thank you for being positive regression listeners, and, and make sure you just keep in touch with us. You know we love interacting and answering your questions, so uh, we will continue to do so. So, David, have a great night. Maybe a, a good Sunday too, watching racing, and we'll 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 catch up with you. A new episode drops on Thursday. Have a great night, everyone.